Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here at Renew. What a wonderful morning of worship. How many of you went to summer camp growing up? Anybody remember going to summer camp? Absolutely. Remember the cafeteria? Anybody got bad memories from the cafeteria? I remember something specifically would happen at the middle school weeks, even as a counselor, but even going to them. Um, invariably, at the end of the lunchtime, somebody would start pouring drinks into the same cup. So you'd have Mountain Dew, milk, sounding good already, iced tea, sugar, packets, salt, pepper, just, right? And I, and I remember, you, you just imagine this scene. Um, their sleeping bags are missing from one of the cabins. And the only way they can pay the ransom for this capturing of the sleeping bags is that they drink the cup after dinner. And so they go, fine, there's always one. I'll drink it, put it in there. And there's milk and stuff, all this stuff, there's always one. And then he goes, all right. And they're like, okay, okay, gross, it's sick, that's gross, that's gross. And he goes to drink it, and one kid goes, wait, what? And he grabs the ketchup. <laughs> and he goes, okay, wait. And they get some of the relish off somebody's plate. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Middle school boys. Some of you are going, that happened in my college cafeteria last week. What are you talking about, middle school? Wait, mustard. All right, now. And he go, and he, and, he, and he take the cup. And before I drink this, I had Mike drink it first as a cup bearer to just make sure it's okay. And he's back on the back laying down, so I think it'll be okay. But there's nothing in the cup. Let me double check. No, yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing in the cup. But they drink that cup and you'd see them. And they would always say the same thing. That was nothing. And then later that day, they wouldn't feel very well. Oh, the disgusting ransom of a cup of ketchup, mustard, Mountain Dew, milk. And the sleeping bags would be returned. You ever hear stories of cupbearers? You remember what a cupbearer's role was? Scripture speaks of cupbearers. Can you think of one of the most famous cupbearers? His name was Nehemiah, right? Famous cupbearer in Scripture was Nehemiah, right? King Xerxes. Then, and then we have other cupbearers. There was a cupbearer mentioned back in Genesis. How many of you remember the story of Joseph? Kids, do you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph was thrown, right, into this, into this well or this, this hole in the ground, if you will, by his brothers because of their bitterness and jealousy of his father's treatment of him. And instead of killing him, they decide to sell him into slavery to the Egyptians. And off he goes into slavery, but he actually does pretty well there. So well, he's risen in Potiphar's house. And so handsome is he that Potiphar's wife makes advances on him in private. Joseph, being a man of integrity, fled. In fact, it's still a lesson we use with our young people. What does a young man do? He flees. He doesn't say, that's how close I can get to this. He flees. And Joseph fled, and Potiphar's wife made up a story, didn't she? She made up a lie. 
And she said, it was actually Joseph that came after me. He, he wanted to be with me. And so Joseph was thrown in prison for something he didn't do. Scholars are torn on how long Joseph spent in prison, but some believe it could have been up to a decade. Some of you kids are not a decade old. But because of the time period between him being in the ground with his brothers and his apex of ministry was around 13 years, they believe he could have been in there up to nine or 10 years possibly. But either way, he's in prison for something he didn't do. Now, along that way, something happened up in the court of the leader of the land of Egypt. He had a man who sat on his right and on his left. They were often cupbearers and bakers because they were the most trusted individuals. And they would serve all his food. And the cupbearer would come out with something much more glorious than this. He'd come out with more or less a, a goblet, if you will. And he would taste it and touch it to his mouth to see if it was what? Poison. For hey, if we're going to lose somebody, let's lose the cupbearer, not the king. But it was a job that really did well and was highly respected and the king trusted his cupbearer as well as his baker who served him the food the most. Well, something happened because they were both imprisoned. I got a feeling the baker made something that wasn't good because the cupbearer later we find gets restored to his position, but the baker does not. They're in prison and the baker and the cupbearer, do you remember this story in Genesis 4? They, they, they have a dream and they're like, okay, we saw this dream and there's like three of these things and then this happened and this happened and Joseph says, I can interpret your dream. Go ahead. He goes, in three days to the cupbearer, you are gonna be elevated back to your position. And the baker said, what about me? Well, your dream means in three days you're gonna be killed. Hey, Joseph's keeping it real. And in three days, exactly those things happened. And Joseph said one thing. He said, when you get your position back to the cupbearer, please remember me. Tell him that I gave you the interpretation of the dream and free me from this place. And the cupbearer said, I will. Did he? No, no, he forgot. Scripture literally says, I'll read the sacred text. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Are you kidding me? Have you ever forgot to return a text? Two days later, you realize for the past two days, they think you hate them. Oh man, I'm sorry, I'm not bad. It's different when you text somebody who you know stares at their phone 24-7 and they said they forgot it, but... There are times where you open it and you don't respond right away and then you forget to respond and you're like, <gasps> okay, okay. Two years go by, church. Two years, Joseph's down there and the cupbearer forgot and the Pharaoh, he has a dream. He has a dream. And, 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 and in this dream, he doesn't understand it. And he says, who can interpret it? And the cupbearer thought, oh, there was somebody in the prison who interpreted my dream and he went, oh no. Oh no, that was two years ago. They went and got Joseph. He interpreted the dreams and he was elevated above all the land where he became one of the leaders of Egypt, seated, if you will, at the right hand of the greatest leader of the land of Egypt. 
suffered, sacrificed, was poorly treated for years. But then God highly exalted him to the point where his name was above all other names, the name of Joseph to where even his brothers came to him for food that he had stored. What an unbelievable story of a cupbearer. But there's another cupbearer in scripture. He's your cupbearer. And he's none other than Jesus Christ, willing to drink the cup. And this morning, we're gonna talk about what was in the cup that he drank. And let me tell you, you wish it was ketchup and mustard. You wish it was relish for what Jesus was asked to drink. No other man could possibly drink. We'll call our message the cupbearer. Our text will be Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. I'll have a word of prayer and we'll begin it immediately. Heavenly Father, use your text today to inspire us to live differently because of what you did for us. Lord, today I pray as we follow Jesus on the road again, we learn a very valuable lesson about what you did for us, but also how then we shall live. And so Lord, if you would, remove the room of distraction so that we might concentrate on your word. Lord, humble our hearts and may we receive it, not fight against it, but receive it. And so that we would not be just hearers of the word, but doers as well. And then Lord, may we leave this place different because we came here and made it a priority this morning to renew our minds through the hearing and applying of this sacred text, the very word of God. And we'll pray these things in Jesus' name. And all Renew Bible said, amen. amen. So they're walking along Jerusalem, headed to Jerusalem. And let me read you a little bit of what's going on here as they're traversing the road towards Jerusalem. And we were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. You got somebody who keeps a pace faster than you? Ever go to an amusement park? Somebody in the family's walking faster than everybody else. Pumped up. And they were amazed. In fact, he was keeping such a pace they were amazed. And those who were following were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was about to happen to him. Saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to you to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they'll mock him. Have you ever been mocked? They'll spit on him. You ever had somebody spit on you? They'll flog him. Ever been whipped? And kill him. And after three days he will rise. Have you noticed that he's been doing this throughout the Gospel of Mark? Do you appreciate walking through a book and seeing how often something occurs versus just looking at the book of Mark as a document where you just kind of pick and choose your verses? It's amazing when you see something, how much Jesus is repeating himself, right? But did you note something about that text? I hope you didn't miss it. It stood out to me. He's walking ahead of them, and the disciples are amazed. If I told you, I need to walk into downtown Telford. 
you first say, there's a downtown Telford? And I say, yeah, kind of. I got to walk into downtown Telford and there I'm going to be murdered, whipped, killed, mocked, and spit on. And follow me. You'd be like, what's with the pace? Shouldn't we be like, hey, you got anything else to do? I mean, I don't have to go to Telford yet. Oh, look at that over there. Oh, Dairy Queen. Let's stop there for a minute. Do you appreciate that there is zero hesitation in Jesus Christ? We're going up to Jerusalem. They always said up, whether it was geographical or not, because they walked up a mountain geographically to Jerusalem. And Jesus is ahead of them. And the guys behind him are afraid. And so he stops. Guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be mocked, spit on, flogged, and killed. Wow. Just the mere pace terrified them. This guy is on a mission. Do you ever know somebody who's on a mission? They've just got this ambition in them that they're gonna accomplish. Do you remember when you were younger, maybe? Businessman, when you were first starting out your business? How about moms, are you start starting out that business or with the kids? You have an ambitious mother, you're gonna do this, this, this. Oh, we're gonna do this. I'm gonna post every day. Young person, you remember how you first started out that sport and how fired up you were? Remember that ambition? You ever see a young entrepreneur? Oh, they're making 50 phone calls a day ambition. Jesus has a mission and he has set out to accomplish it and nothing's going to stop him. And anybody in this room today that understands what it's like to have a goal and be determined to achieve it, I want you to listen in today. There's a message here. Anybody who's ever gone, I'm going to climb to the top of my profession. Anybody who's ever said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a title on my desk. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have an office. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a business. I'm going to name on it. I might even let my kids be a part of it and put N sons. But we are going to accomplish something here on earth. Oh, man. I'm speaking to an American church. So the American gospel is just like piling up right now in us. Like, yes, ambition, accomplish, climb to the top. Jesus is headed on a mission, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Oh, boy. James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. Have you ever noticed that Zebedee's name is mentioned a lot? Zebedee was a somebody in this culture. It was a big deal for Zebedee was constantly mentioned and it's believed that Zebedee had quite a fishing business for he had multiple boats, which was unheard of of somebody without means. On top of that, we know Peter would often fish with them. And Peter, we know was successful for he had a house that even Jesus stayed at for it was so large. And for him to have a house as we studied in Capernaum, I mean, that was a big deal. So we got some successful guys, but James and John, they're not only successful, they're not only from a family line with some generational wealth. They got themselves a mom named Salome. 
Mark doesn't tell you about her. He leaves this out. But Matthew makes sure that you know Mama Bear was involved in this conversation. For in Matthew, he says, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, there's Zebedee getting name dropped again, came up to him with her sons. Kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And she said, and he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your kingdom. Some position. Maybe some cupbearer action, maybe some bakery action, I don't know, but definitely a place of position. And Salome is nice about it, right? I mean, she doesn't tell Jesus which son should be on what side. She lets that up to him, right? You can pick, it doesn't matter. One in your right and one in your left on your coming kingdom. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He's walking out in front and he's stopped by two disciples and their mom. And they go, hey, if we're going there towards your kingdom, can you make sure that we are on your right? And left. And Jesus said to them, Do you remember what he said? You do not know what you are asking. You do not know what you are asking. One time a four year old came up to his dad. He said, Dad, I am ready to assume the mortgage, the house, taking care of mom. She wants to be married to me, and I'm now going to be the dad of the house. And the father said, You do not know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup of the bills that dad has? I shared that a little bit with our leaders backstage. They go, the four-year-old, you could say that to an 18-year-old, the answer is still the same. You have no idea what's coming. And we don't. Sometimes we do ask for things. We have no idea the implications. I wanna be the leader of this company. You do? Do you know what comes with that? No, but it sounds great. I want to be famous, you do? Do you know how far it is to fall when everyone knows your name? I want to be on top and I want everybody to depend on me. You do? Do you want to know what it's like to get 50 questions a day and you better not get one of them wrong? You don't know what you're asking. But on top of that, Jesus had a far, far more reaching perspective than they did on what they were actually asking. Because he turns to them and says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Symbolism is being used here to say, I am about to deal with something heavy and it's gonna flow over top of me. I'm going under the water, if you will, of what is coming my way. This is big, this is massive. I am about to drink a cup and it's full of something that we can't even understand. He says, you're able to do that? And you know what the sons of thunder said? We're able. Oh. It said during the Passover, I know it's a Christian church, but Jewish audiences would understand this, that um, at the Passover of Sedar, they, they, um, 
They have multiple cups. Did you know that? And this would have been true during the time of Jesus when they took Passover. We often hear of one cup, right? And we celebrate it monthly here at Renew Bible as in remembrance of him. But they would have had multiple cups. Now, they didn't have our neat little packaged cups here, okay? So I'm just gonna use this for illustration. Put it at the edge of the table, okay? So the first cup that they would drink even during the times of Jesus would be a pre-meal cup. And they called it the cup of sanctification. And you know what it was based on? They based these cups on the I will passage in Exodus. Remember when Moses said, I can't deliver your people. And God said, I will, I will. That's the I will passage it's often called. And the first cup was the cup of sanctification. And they would drink it in remembrance of, I will bring you out. Sanctification set apart. I will bring you out. They would drink that cup. The second cup was the cup of praise. They would praise God for he said in the I will, I will deliver you. The cup of praise, some call it the cup of deliverance. And this cup was drank right before the first course was served in the Jewish Passover meal. And they drank the cup. The third cup was taken after the bread. And so we often know this cup. It's the cup of redemption. I will redeem you. Jesus took this cup, the third cup that night, and he said, this cup, drink it, all of you, in remembrance of me. And he made it about himself. There was a fourth cup after dinner. And in some scholars believe that Jesus, in saying that I will no longer drink of the vine, until I come, he was forfeiting the fourth cup because he wouldn't take the cup of acceptance. I will be your God because that was the cup celebrating the night it passed over the houses with red and Jesus was about to take the wrath instead. Four cups. But in the Jewish Passover, they also have a fifth cup and sometimes they would open the door for this cup for this cup was the cup of wrath. Jesus spoke of this wrath cup in the garden. He said, is there any other way than for me to drink that? Is there any other way? And, and, and he wept. And, and blood, it said, has even come out of his eyes. Because he said, is there, is there any other way than that one? They celebrate these, but is there any other way? And he said, not, not my, what? Will, but your, what? Will be done. These are the cups. This is the cup. This is the cup of none other than God's anger on sin. God hates sin sin. He's not okay with it. He hasn't changed his mind on it. The cup of God's wrath will be poured out on those who are not covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's common, scripture says. But the wrath of God on sin, it's in there. His, his anger on what has been done on what is being done, what is being thought, on what is being plotted. It's in there. 
And none of us could ever drink this. It is something that only Jesus can drink and satisfy the wrath that is put in it. And these guys say, we're able? We're able? Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, oh, you will be baptized. What's going on here? Jesus is doing a little foretelling of our future of these disciples. He's saying, oh, you are going to suffer. Oh, you are going to sacrifice. There will be a time where you will have to drink the cup of suffering that he is about to go to. In fact, it is believed that all disciples were martyred, some beheaded, stoned, beaten, crucified, tortured. James beheaded, church history seems to sell, as well as John exiled to the island of Patmos. We know Peter was crucified. He's doing a little future visioning for them. Oh, you will drink this. But your question about sitting at the right hand or left, that's not for me to give out. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared, Jesus says. And so he's discussing this with the disciples, James and John, who have asked to sit at his right hand and left hand, and the disciples overheard their question, and how do you think they felt about it? Do you understand conflict resolution? There's gonna be need to be some right now. The other disciples heard that James and John possibly still smelling themselves from being on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, we, after all, we saw Jesus, we don't know, but there's still something simmering. Hear this conversation going on, and scripture says that they were indignant at James and John. There is anger in the camp. You talk about wrath, Jesus, there's wrath within the disciples. Who do these guys think they are? Hey, Jesus, we notice your pace is ahead of us. Make sure I'm on your right and I'm on your left. I mean, even mom says so. And Jesus called them all together. He wanted them all to hear this. You ever have a team, you ever see a team underperforming? You ever have a team have a couple players trying to do it their way and not working with the team and the coach calls a timeout and he says, everybody over here. And there's one who's trying to get a water bottle. You, yo, here, let's go. Everybody in. Everybody needs to hear this message. One of the great leadership understanding tools is everyone needs to hear the same message, right? So Jesus says, you know that those who consider rulers of the Gentiles, you know they lorded over them? You've seen the Gentiles out there, right? You, you see how they get a position of authority and they go, hey, I'm the leader here. I got the title. You're gonna use it. I've earned it. You ever notice that about them? You ever notice that they kind of lord their authority over them? Hey, I'm the boss around here. You listen to me. Know your role. Understand where you came from. You know how the Gentiles do that? This is the idea here. And some of you may have worked into an environment like that where it's constantly brought up to you that you are not important compared to the other people, especially those in authority. Jesus goes, you know that? You know that emotion? 
They know it. Jesus was the master communicator. And what he just did is he put all the disciples on the same platform, including James, John, and maybe Shalom, who might be listening still far off. It shall not be that way with you guys. I love messages like this. When someone you look up to and respect and says, hey, you know how this is all going on over there? Happening in the school, it's going on over there school? Yeah, it's happening in your classroom, right? Did you see that going on over there? Yeah, yeah, you know all that? That's not the way it's gonna be here. Oh, that's not the way it's gonna be here. What, what, what? But whoever among you would be great among you must be your servant. Here's where James and John wanna do one of those back up. <laughs> if anybody wants to be great, Peter's probably like, you too. You must be their servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. This is the second time the disciples have fought over this. Church, remember when we were in the passage before? Just a few chapters back. The disciples, right after the Mount Transfiguration, were battling over who would be the greatest. We called it the mirror complex, remember? Mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the greatest of them all? And Jesus answered, the servant of all, the diakonos, the voluntary servant. That's who the greatest of all is. Um, that's not necessarily true in my place of business. No, it's not. That's not necessarily true at my school, Pastor Chris. You don't understand. No, no, it's probably not. That's not the way it is in my college. You don't understand. No, no, it's not. Jesus is calling you to something better. You know how this is all going on around you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come here, come here. What, 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 what? That's not how we're doing it. What? That's not how we're doing it. All right. So you have a decision to make. Are you gonna do it my way or the world's way? When you look in the mirror, whose approval do you want looking back at you? Jesus or that person or maybe even yourself? Oh, this world loves to help, doesn't it? But serving is different than helping. Review with me the mirror principles we learned about the difference between the helper and the servant. The helper, oh, the helper helps only when it's convenient and it fits into their schedule, right? Oh yeah, I think I can make time for that. Oh, actually, no, I can't. The servant serves even when it's inconvenient. Have you ever had to drink that cup? Jesus loves it when you do. Oh, the helper, they help her, you know the helper. They help only people they like. Oh, I, I like them. We agree pretty much. I kind of like them. Then the, the servant helps people they even that they don't like. You might have to drink that cup this week. Now, now the helper, the helper helps only when it's fun. Man, this is great. This was so much fun. I really enjoyed helping out. This was great. Uh, a servant helps even when it's actually not fun. A, a, a helper, you know, they help only when they receive some personal satisfaction. You know, it just makes me feel good when I, I just love doing it because I feel so good about it. The servant serves even when they get no personal satisfaction. In fact, sometimes the opposite comes. You get a little satisfaction out of it. The, the helper, oh man, they help only if they think it might benefit them. Like, this is a good connection for me to make. <laughs> If I help them, I might get helped back. That's the helper. The servant serves even when they think they actually might suffer or could even get some damage from 
helping someone out. It really is determined on whether we're willing to drink the cup that Jesus had to drink. No, it's whether we're willing to live the life that Jesus offers us because he drank the cup. What do you mean? See, in our lives, we are constantly being pulled back and forth with whether we're gonna do what our will wants or what his will wants. And from a young stage in life, young person, college student, business, entrepreneur, anybody with some ambition of something they want to accomplish, you're gonna have this passion to wanna do your will or God's will. And sometimes you'll wrestle back and forth Sometimes I get opportunities to speak to young leaders and I like to use leadership dynamics to teach. This one came as an inspiration from my dad who was a veteran who talked to me and told me about the times he had to do those confidence courses, specifically that, that Jacob's ladder that was on the confidence courses. Have you ever seen these ladders? The soldiers would climb up to them unharnessed they were 30 feet in height. To tell you, the ceiling of this building is 32 feet. They climb all the way up there unharnessed. And you'll notice as they're climbing, they go relatively fast. And as they get to the top, the climb gets much more difficult because the greater and height you are, the further you have to fall, don't you? And my dad said, when you get to the top, you hung on to that top post because in the military, the goal isn't just to get to the top. You have to go down the other side. He goes, so you'd squeeze, you'd squeeze and you'd hold on to that beam because you're 30 feet in the air. If you fall from this height, there's problems. And those first couple steps down, you're feeling for the bottom. You're feeling for each rung and you're slowly working your way back down because on the way down, you can see how far it is. On the way up, oh, you're just shooting to the top and the sky is the limit. But when you go down, you know what you have to lose. You sense where you might be in trouble and you take it very cautiously. If you're listening today on podcasts or something else, we have a soldier climbing up and working his way down slow. And church, have you noticed how much caution he's taking on the way down versus the way up? It's so much harder to go down than to climb up. They call it the confidence ladder. Why? Because if you can accomplish that, the soldier might ask himself, what else am I capable of accomplishing? And it builds their confidence. If I'm able to go up and now I know I'm able to come down, what else could I possibly accomplish? I would argue there's two ladders in life. There's the ladder of selfish ambition. I will, I will. And there's the ladder of selfless ambition. I will. I will. What am I saying? The selfless ambition ladder you can find in Isaiah. I'll read the text to you. Listen to this. How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. Many scholars obviously include right there Lucifer. Oh, how you have fallen. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. 
Because you said in your heart, and this is called the five I wills. You ready? Here they are. I will ascend into heaven above the stars. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I will, I will, I will. Let me illustrate, look at our screen. I will ascend to heaven above the stars. Selfish ambition, I will be known. I will rise above all my peers. I will, he says, set my throne on high. I will gain control of my life. I will set my schedule. I will determine when I go somewhere and I will determine when I don't go somewhere. I will work for no one. I will, he says, reach the heights of the assembly of the far reaches of the north. I will have entitlement and I will be served. People will come to me and respect me. I will, he says, ascend above the clouds. He wants position on high. And then finally, I will, I will make myself like the most high, Elielon, the name even the demons use for God. I will gain ultimate superiority. And you know what happens when you reach the height of selfish ambition? You know what happens when you find yourself on top above everyone else? Ask Nebuchadnezzar. He walked out and looked upon his kingdom of Babylon and he said, there is none greater than I. And what happened? He was struck. Do you know what happened to Lucifer who climbed all the way up, he thought? This is what scripture says. But you were brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. Thus we have the phrase, pride cometh before the fall. You might say, but, but God has given me position in my life. I mean, I'm a father. I have a position. I'm a mother. I'm a mother. A lot of people are looking to me in my own house. I have position. I'm on the top rung in my family. I mean, they look to me. I mean, you might say, I'm at work. At work, I have position. I mean, I'm at the top. I mean, God's blessed me. I've kind of risen to the top. Um, um, maybe you're, in a, you're an entrepreneur or something like that, and you're working. You're a sole proprietor. You go, I'm kind of at the top. I kind of make my own rules, all these things. Watch out. Hang on to Jesus so tightly there. Because there's a chance he might call you to do the unthinkable. What? Climb down. What? <laughs> you don't understand how hard I work for this. Climb down. You, <laughs> you understand, I'm saving for my retirement. Climb down. You don't understand, you see, I got a lot of connections. Climb down. What does that look like? Let me show you, let me show you, show you. I love this passage. It's found in Philippians chapter two. It says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who's your example? Chris, no. Um, that guy over there, no, no. Who's the example? Jesus, okay. Jesus is the best leader ever. He never asks you to do something he hasn't done himself. Hard to respect somebody who tells you to do something that they haven't done themselves, right? Jesus never asks you to do something he hasn't done himself. And he says this, who, though in the form of God, okay, that's the top of the rung, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It's as if a cup was held out. And the cup was selflessness all the way at the top. Who will go? And Jesus said, I will. And he refused to grasp equality with God. And he came down to earth. 
It's as if there was a cup that was asked, who, who will drink the cup of surrender? And he emptied himself and only choose to do his father's will. He said, I will. This passage is telling me that, that there's a, there's a, if, is anyone willing to drink the cup of servanthood and serve everyone, whether you like them, whether they deserve it? He said, I will. You see in this passage, it's, it's a suffering. It's who will drink the cup of suffering? Taking on human form, Jesus is going to feel pain. He's going to feel the emotional hurt of being mocked and spit on. He said, I will. I'll do it. And then finally, I will sacrifice. He became obedient unto death. And the apostle Paul telling the church of Philippi says, he was so shocked by this. Even the point of death on the cross. I mean, it's one thing that he died. It's another that it was on a cross. And so I challenge those young leaders when I get my chance, you going up or you going down? You ever stand in an elevator and get asked that question? Because at the bottom of this ladder, what happened? Therefore, God highly exalted him. Whenever you choose this path on the ladder, especially if God's trusted you with position, God highly exalts that. And so the challenge, are you going up? Are you going down? Selfish ambition, I will be the greatest. Or selfless ambition, I'm gonna be the greatest. I'm gonna become a servant, just like Jesus said to. See, Jesus didn't turn the ambition meter off. He said, I just want you to pursue greatness that I define. And the greatness I define is not what you're being taught in this world. It's pagan, it's worldly, and it's leading to falls. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. Because if he can take you out, dad, he'll probably take your boys too. And if he can take you out, mom, probably take your girls too. If he can take you out, boss, he can probably take a lot of people out in your company who are really dependent upon that job. If he could take you out, pastor, he could really impact that church for the worse. And that's why the ladder of humility is so important. Have ambition, but may it be selfless. Instead of selfish ambition or control, I'll pursue my will. I'll pursue God's will and surrender it. Instead of climbing the ladder and gaining this entitlement, I'll be served. Hey, choose servant and I'll be servant of all. Instead of climbing up the ladder and seeing position, I'll attain a security and we'll never worry if we'll ever have anything. Instead, I'll endure suffering if that's what you've asked me to do, Jesus. Instead of superiority, I will gain everything. Maybe the ladder of, you know what? I'll give everything. Young people, you'll find this out and I've been finding it out too late in life. I'm a slow learner. So get out in front of me. Life is not about what you get. I bet I got some young 17, 18, 19 year old, young entrepreneurs, future business leaders. I got, I bet some, got some guys and I bet I got some girls. They're full of ambition. Life isn't about what you get. It's about what you give. May we remember that this week. In our pursuit of getting what could I use my current position for wherever you're at on the ladder to help someone else? And in doing so, 
You model Christ. My what? Cup bear. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for me. You might say, come on, Chris, there's no, there's no wrath on me. Listen, if you're not a child of God, I want to talk, a child of God, I often will target you and say, listen to me. If you're not a child of God, I want to just tell you, just I want you to hear something, okay? Whether you believe it or not, here's what scripture says. You come to Renew Bible to hear the Bible. Here's what scripture says. If you're not a child of God, okay, you're not getting away with anything. In fact, scripture says the wrath of God is storing up. Here's the text. It's in Romans. But because of the stubbornness of your heart, unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of righteousness and the judgment of God. I'd be wrong as a preacher to not warn people. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, there is a day of judgment coming. And many children of God are watching the signs of the times thinking, and it's not that far away. It's storing up. This cup is simmering, and it's storing up. In fact, scripture continues in Revelation 14.10. It says this, of those who do not believe on the name of Jesus Christ, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. Here's the deal. If you don't know Christ as your savior, you have to drink a cup. Imagine, imagine everyone in the room, imagine having to drink the cup of all your sins. Everything you've thought, everything you've done. Imagine having to drink it. Scripture says it's, it's sulfur, it's hell. It's torment. And so it seems the scriptures give us two options. You drink the cup, and that is sulfur and torment in hell. Or you give it to someone who says, I'll drink that for you. What? I'll drink that for you. So my, this is all my stuff. I'll drink it for you. Have you ever noticed that in the Old Testament, God seems to be such an angry God and it seems so, so, so violent and there's wrath everywhere and you're like, in the New Testament, I just see nothing but grace and I just feel like we're all getting away with everything because it's aging. What, what happened? Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Jesus went to the cross. He allowed men to bully him and beat him. I use the word allowed. And on that cross, there was nothing special about the cross. Many men died on a Roman cross. It was who was on that cross. It was the son of God. And God's wrath for all the sins. Imagine drinking your own cup. Jesus is about to drink everyone's. Every murder, every evil, every abuse, every act of terrorism, everything. Jesus is going, hit me. Don't hit them, hit me. And God's wrath is poured onto Jesus. The cup 
that I should be drinking. Jesus said, Chris, I love the world so much, I gave my only son, Jesus. He drank the cup. So you got a choice. You drinking that or you going, be my savior. For me, it was an easy decision at the age of six. I said, dad, I don't want to go to hell. I want to give you know, Jesus as my savior. But what Jesus did on that cross is something scholars call propitiation. He appeased the wrath of God. And the difference you see in this age of grace is that Jesus took all the wrath. The earth shook. The earth shook when he died. And he took it for me and for you. So you drink it or he drinks it. And that's the definition of grace. For John says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. And this text says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Jesus is your cupbearer. All the grossness of this. Jesus said, I'll drink it. And he died for me. He did nothing. He didn't spend 10 years in a jail. He died on a cross. He didn't get forgotten by the cupbearer. He suffered and got spit on and mocked. He became sin, Paul tells us, who knew no sin so that I could be looked at by God as righteousness. He humbled himself and went to the cross. He went down that ladder. That is love that we cannot fathom. And he offers it to us. And he says, I drank that. And if you've accepted him as a child of God, all my children of God, you are now fighting battles, ready? He already won. He beat it. And now you can walk in victory for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No cups coming for you. That day's over. He said, I did it for Chris and I did it for everybody in here who takes my name. And you know what God did because he did that for you? He exalted his name above every name. You'll find this out, young people. You can say God, you can even say Lord. But when you start dropping the Jesus name, there's something about that name. Why? Because it's the name above all names. And God gave it to him and said, he's the victor and he's the overcomer. And so if you're here today and you've asked Jesus to be your savior, he says to you, I drank the cup. Go walk in victory. Humble yourself and follow me. This week, this week, think about others ahead of yourself. This week, think about who you could be a blessing to instead of thinking about how you can be blessed.
Instead of walking around going, I gotta protect myself, I gotta protect myself, think about how you could go give somebody encouragement. And in doing so, you'll find the exalted life that he's offered to us, amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. Your scripture's so clear. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How could this be? There's a penalty for sin. A ransom must be paid. And that is the shedding of blood. And scripture says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness Blood has to be shed, but it can't be anybody's blood. It's gotta be sinless blood. It's gotta be blood that has done nothing wrong. A spotless lamb, if you will. And it's as if heaven looked around, said, who will go and descend down that ladder for them? And Jesus raised his hand and said, I will. You'll regard no equality up here in heaven and go, I will. You're willing to suffer, I will. And so Lord, it behooves me to live a life, not for my will, but that your will be done. Jesus shed his blood, drank the cup of God's wrath so that we might walk in righteousness who've called on his name. And Lord, if there's anyone in here who has never given their life to you, may they be warned. A cup of wrath is coming and they don't have to drink it. They can call on the name of Jesus and be saved as well. Lord, may we be aware of the seriousness of sin and may we be fully rejoicing in the greatness of grace. May we climb down the ladder for exaltation. Amen.